We've been uh, working through a series on unanswered prayer. And uh, as we go through the series, the main reason is not to focus so much on the unanswered part, is it, but it's to teach us how to pray better. That if we see uh, what are some of the reasons for unanswered prayer, and we begin to realize some of those, it only helps us pray to pray better and to pray, to pray stronger. And we have uh, seen that uh, biblically there are nine variables, at least, there may be more, but we see that there are nine reasons that we see in Scripture why sometimes prayer is not answered. And, um, and this is why we need to be very careful about blaming God. I mean, some people, when they're praying and praying and praying and their prayers are not being answered, they automatically blame God. Uh, God's not the only variable. He's not the only reason why a prayer might be, uh, not be answered. Now, He is one of the reasons. I mean, God's will is one of the main things that we've talked about. But there are things that God wills, and we're praying for those things, but they don't come about not because of God's will, but because of other reasons. And we've looked numerous times at that passage where uh, the disciples are trying to cast this demon out of this boy. And it's clearly God's will that this prayer of this boy being delivered would be answered, but it's not answered. The disciples couldn't do it. They're praying that this boy would be delivered. It's God's will that he'd be delivered, but they couldn't do it. So they go ask Jesus, you know, why, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And in that case, Jesus says it was because they lacked faith. Now, faith isn't the only reason. It may be that you have amazing faith, but it could be another reason why your prayer isn't answered. The, the reality is that when we face unanswered prayer, we really just don't know. We'll never know exactly why unless God speaks to us and tells us why. But as we go through the reasons why prayer is not answered, if we begin to, to realize that I could grow in my faith, I could get other people involved in my prayers, if we begin to understand God's heart and his will in greater ways, it helps us pray in alignment with his will. It only helps us to pray better. And so that's sort of the goal of our time together. And so the nine variables of unanswered prayers we see in the Bible are, we'll go through the nine again. So we see God's will. It's probably the main factor. There's also the faith of the person being prayed for and the faith of the person or group praying. We looked at that last week. Uh, the number of people praying and the persistence of prayer. We're going to look at those two this week. There's also the presence of sin, human free will, the demonic world, and the number and strengths of angels and demons all play a role in, in this battle we are in as we, as we pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven as Jesus taught us to pray. And so we're going to look at uh, number four and number, and number five. And when you're moving, I'll introduce it this way. When you're moving, a lot of us have moved before. It really, it's kind of a horrible thing to have to move. It's never very fun. Uh, but when you're moving from one house to another, there are, sometimes there's little boxes that you can easily pick up yourself and, and carry to the truck. There's other things like large pieces of furniture where you need help with, that you cannot move it yourself. And it's the same with prayer. There are some things you can move by prayer by yourself, praying on your own. But there are other things that you need to get other people involved. That You need to have more than one person just praying in order to move that thing. As well, when you're moving, there are, again, small things that don't take any effort to move. You move, move like a little box. It doesn't take any effort to carry it out to the truck. But there are other things that take a lot of work, like moving a piano or a hide-a-bed, Right? Whenever I got to move someone, I say, do you have a piano or a hide-a-bed? And if they say no, I'm, I'm totally interested. But uh, those things, 
They take a lot of persistence to move those things. And it's, again, the same with prayer. There are some things that are easy to move in prayer, and there are some things that take persistence. And so let's first talk about variable number four in unanswered prayer. That is the number of people praying. And the principle is this, that the prayers of one person are powerful and effective, but there's often an extra level of power in prayer when more than one person is praying. I mean, just you by yourself through your prayers can do incredible things. And sometimes you don't need to get anybody else involved. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, we see there are times when one person is praying and amazing miracles happen. And God does incredible things through the prayer of just one person. I mean, James 5 says the prayer of a, not two or three, a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are, and so he's saying that this, this, this is us. We all have this opportunity with the power of prayer. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. This is just one person. One person praying can do incredible things. We see Paul numerous times in the Bible, similar stories like this. This was Paul on this, this island he was shipwrecked on, and there was this sick person, and it says Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. This is one person praying for the sick person, and this person is miraculously healed. And sometimes just you and, and your prayers can do amazing things. You can move mountains, Jesus said, through your prayers. But there are times when it takes more than one. There are times when you're trying to pray for something and you're not getting an answer. And it's always a good time to get others involved because it seems that the more people that are praying, that there's just this extra level of power in prayer. For instance, we see Paul asking for prayer a lot in the scriptures, pray for us, pray for us, pray for us. You help us by our prayers. But when you look at Paul's prayer life, you, you see he says, I'm constantly in prayer. I'm always praying. And if the prayers of one person could do everything and anything, why would he ask other people to pray with him? Because he understood that the more people praying for his ministry, the more people praying for the same things he's praying for, that there is just this extra level of power when more people are praying. As Paul said, you help us by your prayers. That the more people that you are involved in whatever you're praying for, there is just an extra level of power present. We see in Matthew 18, now the context of this text is not prayer, but uh, most scholars agree that the, the context plays out into a lot of areas of Christian life, including prayer, where it says this, Jesus said, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, we know that one person with their prayers can do incredible things through prayer. We know if there's just one person in the middle of the desert, God's presence is, off, is, is, of course, there. But this text says that when there's more than one person praying, there's just this extra level of power. When there's more than one person gathered, this is, there's this extra dimension of God's presence. And this is one of the reasons why we gather together as 
uh, as believers on a Sunday because there's just this extra level of the dimension of God's presence when two or three are gathered together. Uh, God has never called us to live our Christian faith in isolation. That's the most foreign thing to the New Testament. We are called to community, and there's power in community, but there's also power when we pray together in community. James 5 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Uh, Why don't you just pray on your own? Uh, Why don't you just pray for healing by yourself? No, the Bible says, no, you call people together. You call the elders of the church to anoint with oil to pray for healing. You confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because there's an extra level of power when there are more people praying for whatever you are praying for. We see in Acts 18, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you. Why? Jesus says, because I have many people in the city. That there was something about numbers that made a difference, perhaps in Paul's prayer for safety, perhaps in in just the the, the extra dimension of God's presence. We don't know, but numbers made a difference in Paul's protection. And numbers make a difference when it comes to us praying together. And so it's important that if you are praying for something, that you get others involved. Uh, that you don't just pray by yourself, uh, that you come forward af- after church to have someone else pray for you, that you get your small group to pray for whatever you're, you're praying for, that, you, that there's just, if you really want to see an answer to prayer and it's not happening on your own, bring it to an extra level of power by inviting others in to pray for you. And God's not up there saying, you know, well, you know, this one, I want to see five people praying for this one before I answer it. You know, one's not. Now, God says, I mean, again, there are nine variables in, in unanswered prayer, and sometimes it just takes extra numbers to, to work through some of those variables, perhaps. But another element of this may just be the idea of God's love for community and humility. That he never wants us to live in isolation. That he's always calling us into community. And one of those ways is saying that you need to have others praying for you. You need to learn to pray with others and be unified with other believers. I mean, it was one of the the passionate prayers of Jesus to see a community that was unified. In John 17, Jesus said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Isn't that an interesting statement? Jesus says, Father, you have given them, that's us, the glory that God gave Jesus. Why would God give us the same glory that he gave Jesus? The answer is right here. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me. I mean, Jesus has this passion to see unity and to see community, and I think this is why sometimes God says, you know what, you need to get others involved in your prayer before I may answer this, because he loves to see it when Christians are getting along. This never means we need to be the same or think the same. This is not about all us. I mean, we have to agree to disagree on certain things, but, but we want to see unity and community, and that happens 
When we say, I, I want someone else to pray for me, and you can go up to another believer, even if they're different than you, and say, say, pray for me. Get others involved in your prayers. This also has to do with humility. Another thing that God is very serious about is that we would have hearts that are humble, that the pride in us would, would continually be pushed, pushed out of us. And one of those ways is learning to ask others for prayer. Because that's, that's a humbling thing, especially for us men who are like, I can do it on my own. You know, I don't need anybody to pray for me. It's just me and God. It's a humbling thing to go ask for prayer. I mean, James says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That whenever you come for prayer or come and say, would you pray with that's, that's, that's humbling yourself and saying, I actually need help. And God loves to see it whenever our pride is pushed to the bottom and, and humility begins to rise up. He loves it when he sees unity. He loves it when he sees Christians coming together. This is why there is power when Christians pray together and there's an extra dimension of God's presence whenever we gather together. And so we need to take this seriously. And you need to take this seriously. That especially if you've been praying for something that just really, I, I really believe this is God's will. I really believe God has spoken to me about this. Get others involved praying with you. It doesn't matter if you have to come up here every single week for three years. Just keep coming and get others involved in praying for you because there is power when Christians are unified and power when Christians pray together. So that's variable number four. It does make a difference in whether prayer is answered or not. Uh, variable number five is persistence of prayer. Persistence of prayer. Again, some things you can move by yourself. Some things just take a lot of work. And this is the same in the spiritual realm. Uh, even Jesus, we see, uh, actually prayed more than once for certain things. I mean, sometimes you might think that, well, Jesus, he was perfect. Every time he prayed, it just happened. He never had to pray persistently. Actually, even Jesus, who never sinned, who had more faith than we could ever dream of, there are times he had to pray more than once for something. And one of those stories in, is in Mark 8. Uh, some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, which is kind of a weird way for healing, and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked at him and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. I mean, he, he still had fuzzy vision. He wasn't fully healed, and yet Jesus prayed for him. So what does Jesus do? Well, it must be God's will. I guess he doesn't want you fully healed. No, he persists. He prays again. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. I mean, if Jesus had to pray more than once for something, how much more than for us? I mean, be careful about falling into this trap of saying, well, I, I gave it and put it in God's hands and I don't have to pray about it anymore. You know, he knows everything I need. It's just whatever God's will will be. Sometimes we've got to pray for something more than once. Jesus prayed for something more than once. We see that the night before Jesus went and chose his disciples, it says this, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. 
And surely he was praying for some of the same things over and over and over again. This was before he chose the disciples. And I'm sure that he was over and over persistently praying that he would have wisdom in choosing the right disciples that were the Father's will, that he would, he would carry out. I mean, Jesus had to persist in prayer. We too need to persist in prayer. First Thessalonians says to pray continually. And this just has the idea that sometimes we need to pray for the same thing over and over and over and over again. We see Jesus in Matthew 26 prays three times that there will be a way to get out of the cross. But then he says, God, it's got to be your will, not my will. Three times he prays that. Jesus prayed persistently. Paul prayed three times in 2 Corinthians 12 that the thorn in the flesh would be removed from him again. Uh, these people who knew Jesus or were, was Jesus, I mean, prayed persistently. So you might say, well, maybe three is the magic number. I mean, they all prayed. Sometimes it's more than three. Uh, we see Jeremiah. In Jeremiah, this is when the Israelites were in a crisis and they needed to hear God's voice. Uh, death was lurking upon them and they, we got to figure out what God wants here. And it says in Jeremiah, they go and ask the prophet, you got to pray for us. We need God's wisdom. And he says this, I will certainly pray to the Lord, your God, as you have requested, and I will tell you everything the Lord says and keep, will keep nothing back from you. And then it says, 10 days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. 10 days later. And I guarantee you, Jeremiah just didn't pray once and just sit around and go, yeah, no, he persistently probably praying for 10 days until he heard God's voice. You're not always going to hear God's voice in an instant. Sometimes you need to pray persistently because, again, uh, we're in a war zone in this spiritual world. There's other things going on. There's all these variables at work. And, and sometimes it takes persistent prayer before we see an answer as it was for many in the Scriptures. Uh, one amazing story about this, we talked about this guy last week, George Mueller. If you want to read a really cool biography, this is one of those guys who just had uh, tens of thousands of his prayers answered miraculously. Uh, George Mueller was a person who looked at the church in his day, and he saw that people did not have faith in prayer. Uh, people were not praying. They weren't believing that God could do miracles through prayer. And he was like, what is the best way that I can show the church that prayer really does work? And he decided that he was going to start an orphanage. And he was going to build his whole ministry on prayer as a huge ob object, object lesson to the church. And I tell you, it was one amazing object lesson. Uh, because he had miracle after miracle happen. But talking about persistent prayer, he writes in his diary... In 1884, he says this, or this is years after 1884, sorry. In November 1884, uh, this is supposed to be, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements might be. Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five was converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for thee and went on praying for the other two. These two remain unconverted. 
the man, he's talking about himself, to whom God in the riches of his grace has given tens of thousands of answers to prayer in the same hour of the day in which they were offered, has been praying day by day for nearly 36 years for the conversion of these individuals, and yet they remain unconverted. But I hope in God, I pray on and look yet for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. He prayed for 52 years, and then he died. But you know, just a little time after his death, these two met Jesus. Uh, persistent prayer. He believed in persistent prayer. And he notes in his diary this, that the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. That you keep on praying until you see the answer. There is only one reason you should ever stop persisting in prayer. And that is if God has clearly told you to stop. If God has clearly not told you to stop praying, then you better keep praying. And you keep praying with hope and passion and God and this God who can work incredible miracles. Uh, Jesus taught this in Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. Jesus says that we should always pray and not give up. Now, why would he say that? Because he knew that we'd be tempted to give up. That we would be, as the illustration goes, mining the depths of prayer and praying and praying and praying. And then you just might go, oh, I guess God's not going to answer this. Maybe this is just God's will. You know, I guess it's not going to, oh, I got better things to do. And I'm just, this is a waste of time. And you miss it. The only reason you should ever stop praying for something is if God, God has clearly told you to stop. And if he hasn't, you better keep on praying because you never know how close you are to seeing the answer realized. Uh, that we should pray and not give up. Have you given up on anything? I mean, maybe go back five, ten years ago or last month that you were praying for something and you just, and you're just like, oh, I don't see anything happening. You just have given up. Maybe there's a friend or a family member that you're just like, man, they need to know the transforming power of Jesus and the gospel, and you are praying for them, and you're no longer praying for them. Uh, don't you dare give up praying. Keep on praying. Do not give up, Jesus says, meaning that sometimes we're going to be tired, we might be frustrated, we might be saying this is not working or whatever. Jesus says, don't give up. Why would Jesus say that? Because he knew the answer is coming. Uh, Jesus doesn't want us wasting time. He wants us to be wise stewards with their time. He's not going to say keep on praying for no reason. He says keep on praying because if you keep mining those prayers and keep praying and praying, that prayer may be answered one day. Do not give up. And so Jesus tells us a story so that we would get this, so that we would not give up praying. He says, well, actually, another slide. <clears throat> Jonathan Wesley. Here's an illustration of a guy who didn't give up. Uh, Jonathan Wesley, he's actually the founder of, of Methodism, the Methodist, Methodist movement. Uh, tens of thousands of people were brought to him. He was a revivalist uh, through his ministry. But you know, when he began, uh, he was praying that God would use him. And he ran into roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, yet he did not give up his prayers that God would use him. Uh, his, his journals are kind of funny. 
Sunday a.m., May 5th, preached in St. Anne's. Anne's asked not to come back. Sunday p.m., May 5th, because he was passionate about Jesus. Some of these churches just were not very open to the power of Jesus. I preached in St. John's. Deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday p.m., uh, May 19th, preached in St. Somebody Else's. He didn't remember. Deacons called, special meeting, and said I couldn't return. Sunday a.m., May 26th, preached on the street. Kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached at the edge of town. Kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, preached in the pastor. 10,000 came. Can you imagine if he says, well, maybe God doesn't want me in ministry. I guess my prayers aren't working. Again, you never know how close you are, like the picture to those diamonds. You never know how close you are to seeing the heavens open and God's will or desire being poured out on your situation. Don't give up praying. So now to Jesus' illustration. He said this, to remind us that we shouldn't give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God no cared uh, uh, what people thought. He was, he's one of those angry judges who didn't give a rip about anything. Maybe a salary. I don't know. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that the judge, uh, that she gets justice so that she won't uh, eventually keep, uh, come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And then he says this, So I say to you, ask, and I put the brackets here of the fuller meaning of this Greek word, ask, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, or keep on searching, seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Uh, So the first thing to note here is he says this at the end of this parable on persistent prayer. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I mean, again, sometimes we stop praying because we're like, well, maybe God can do this. Well, maybe God isn't a miracle-working God. Well, no, no, no. You just kind of lose faith. Is there still faith in your heart that God answers prayer? Is there still faith in your heart that God is a miracle-working God even though you've prayed for something for years? I mean, George Mueller had it. 52 years of praying for these two guys, and he never gave up, not even a single day, because he trusted that God would answer his prayer, and he did, even though it was after his death. I mean, do you have that kind of faith? This kind of faith that Jesus is looking for in our lives, that we would just have the strong, amazing faith that God can do anything. And so we're to keep on asking, and he compares this to this, this widow keeps asking this angry, bitter judge, and this judge finally goes, well, okay, because you're bothering so much, I'll give it to you. Now, the contrast isn't that that's what God is like, The God is some bitter, angry God up there who's saying, you know, you know this, you're pesky, pescering me, Jesse, and I'll finally give this to you. Stop bothering me, you know. This is a contrast the other way around, that if a bitter judge who doesn't like people 
is willing to help the persistent request of a widow, how much more a good and loving God is going to help you when you persistently pray. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 11. This is after another parable about persistent prayer. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who, are, who will ask Him? Like, if this angry judge is willing to help this lady, how much more a good Father? That He is calling us to pray persistently and not give up praying. Now, why is that? Right? Now, why persistent prayer? I mean, is God up there saying, well, you know, this one, this one's 159 prayers for this one. You know, 137, keep going, 138. Sorry, you gave up too soon. I'm just not going to answer this. I mean, is, is that what's going on here? That's not what's going on here. Again, there are nine variables in unanswered prayer, and sometimes our praying is working through some of these other variables. Again, there's a whole mystery to this that we cannot fully explain, but we do need to know that, that, that we need to trust that every one of our prayers is doing something that we don't always see the answer. It's not that 150 of our prayers did nothing and finally the last one actually worked. It's every single one of these are stepping stones, seeds planted, things moving in the spiritual world, in this angel, demons, whatever that's going on, and finally there's stuff, and finally we see the fruit. This is why you need to have faith in your prayers and believe that every single one of your prayers is doing something in the kingdom. In fact, Jesus said, that every one of our prayers is rewarded. That he actually, in Revelation, it talks about him holding our prayers in a bowl in heaven. That's how precious every single one of our prayers is because every single one of our prayers is actually doing something. It's just that some situations need a lot of things done before we see the fruit of it. And so there's mystery involved here sometimes about why uh, persistent prayer, but we know Jesus prayed persistently, we are called to pray persistently, and experientially we see that persistent prayer pays, it pays off in the end. There may be an issue of heart development here as well. Uh, Henry Nouwen said this about prayer. You must be patient, of course, very patient, until your hands are completely open. Sometimes what we need the most is not necessarily the answer to our prayer, but the presence of God. Sometimes what we need the most is to just spend time with Jesus in our devotions and in our secret place. And what would it be like if God answered every single one of our prayers right away? Probably end up treating him like a genie. We'd probably like have this two-second prayer time. I need this, this, and this. Thank you, God. I'm off into my day. I mean, persistence of prayer keeps us coming back to that which is most important, and that is the presence of God. I tell you what, you and I need more than anything is just to be saturated with the presence of Jesus, to be surrendered to Jesus, that all of our pride and those things that are pushing God away would be melted away, that we would be very patient until in prayer our hands are completely opened and we're completely surrendered to the power and goodness of Jesus. Sometimes persistent prayer is about heart development, that he says, I just, I just want you to come to me 
Spend time in my presence so I can develop your heart into a place that I can really use you powerfully. That he would continue, and this has got to be our prayer, develop our hearts till our heart is like Jesus' heart. Where Jesus said the son can do nothing by himself. He can uh, do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. That we would put all of our name in there. That Jesse can do nothing by himself. That Jesse does only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, Jesse wants to be doing, that that would be our desire. That God would continue to shape our hearts and sometimes persistent prayer just keeps us coming back into the presence, into the presence that we might be transformed by the grace of Jesus. And I hope all of you are connecting as much as you can with Jesus because that is where fruit comes. I mean, you cannot be fruitful in your life unless you have intimacy with Jesus. Uh, You're not gonna see grand answers to your prayer unless you first have the heart of Jesus in your own heart. The third thing why persistence of prayer may be in the complication of all these variables is that I think God is serious about faithfulness. Sometimes God wants to see if we're actually serious about what we're asking for. And we even do this as parents sometimes. You know, sometimes my kids will come and, you know, hey, Dad, can I do this or can I have this? I'm like, no, that's too expensive or no, you know, that takes a lot of time, whatever it might be. But if my kids keep coming and I see that they're passionate about it and I see maybe they're studying up on the Internet and reading books about it, I see, wow, he's really serious about this. And that I'm much more likely to say, yeah, you're going to be faithful with this gift I'm going to give you, so I might give it to you. I think God sometimes is looking down saying, are you really actually serious about what you're praying for? Because I'm about to give you much, and you need to be faithful with that. As Luke 12 says, everyone who has been given much much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I mean, God wants to see if we're going to be faithful with what he gives us, and, and again, this is the idea of what we talked about last week, that, that our faith needs to have action. I mean, if, if we don't have work and we're praying for work, are you praying persistently about Are you putting in action by actually getting off out the couch and, and, and putting your feet to work and looking for open doors? I mean, if you just pray once and sit on your couch and wait, it's like God's like, it doesn't seem like you're very serious about that. I mean, if you're praying for financial blessing and, uh, and you're not generous, you're, you're not a tither, you just like hoard your money, and it's like, God is like, are you actually serious about being faithful with what I'm about to pour out upon you? If you've been praying for healing, in your life. I mean, do you just throw up one prayer? Or are you like consistently coming for prayer saying, God, I really want healing in my life. You're getting others involved. Does God see that you're serious about this? Are you actually serious about receiving healing in terms of you're actually trying to eat healthy and get some exercise? Because if you just like are eating junk food all the time and, and you never get exercise and yet you're praying for healing, God's like, are you actually serious about being healthy? There is a place for persistent prayer and putting our faith in action and actually saying, God, I am going to be faithful. I'm going to show you that I will be faithful for whatever you have to give me. We need to be living faithful and persistent prayer, I think, develops that faithfulness in in our hearts. Uh, But the point is here that we can't give up. There's a story, another story about uh, persistence of prayer as we close here. 1 Kings 18, the Lord came to Elijah He says, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. 
So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So God promises to Ahab, rain is coming. You go see Ahab. Elijah goes sees Ahab. And you know what he does not do? God says rain coming. I guess I don't have to do anything. Again, we talked about faith always requires some sort of action. God promised rain, but Elijah knows he's got to get involved. And so what does he do? He prays. Elijah climbed to the top of the Mount Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. He knew this was God's will, yet he goes to prayer, and he puts his faith, this is passionate prayer, and he prays for rain to come. And he says, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant, and he went and looked up. He's trying to see if there's clouds to see if his prayer is answered. There is nothing there, his servant said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Seven times. This was something that was God's will, was promised to Elijah, yet not one prayer did it. He's praying still persistently, even though it's God's will. Again, there are other things going on in in the variables that sometimes things are God's will, but they don't happen immediately. Seven times he prays, go back, and it was the seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Don't give up. I mean, sometimes you might read a promise in the scriptures and you pray once and say, well, God, it's your promise. Where is it? Sometimes it takes persistent prayer. God has called us to persistent prayer. And so our word for us today is that we would always pray and not give up. Don't give up praying. If there's something that you have been praying for that you have given up on, don't give up. May that be rekindled in your heart today, a passion that God can work miracles and you keep on praying until you either see the prayer answered or God clearly says no. And if God has not clearly said no, you just keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on building your faith, keep on leaning into God, keep on going into his presence. You just keep diving into Jesus and hoping and praying until you see the answer. I mean, what would it be like Man, if all of us took this seriously, that if we just not only took our prayer life seriously, but, but we took persistent prayer seriously uh, for things that we see, for people who need Jesus, for God to move in this community, for God to, to send revival, for God to, to pour out his miraculous hand, for God to do, just bring lots of people, just, just pray, this, this is what we want to see. A heart for prayer because God, he answers prayer. Invite the worship team up and let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Uh, God, that you are a God who answers prayer. I thank you, God, that you have answered so many of our prayers. Uh, God, I thank you for, um, uh, for, for even persistent prayer, God, those times that it develops our heart for you. Uh, God, we pray that uh, you would instill in us faith. God, that when you do return, that you would find faith in our hearts. Uh, God, that you would find a people who are praying and not giving up. So God, I pray you continue to work in us a desire for your presence, a desire for prayer. God, in all the honor and all the glory goes to the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
If uh, you would like prayer uh, for any reason, um, again, it's always good to get others involved in your prayers. Uh, Michael and Cara are going to be up here uh, ready to pray for you, and uh, I'll be on this side. And uh, please just come up, and if there's someone uh, we're praying with, you can just hold on, and uh, we'd be happy to pray for you when when you're ready. Um, So uh, with that, let me close. God, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for your power. Uh, God, I pray that as we go this week, God, that you would rule and reign over our hearts. Uh, God, that you would help us to walk a surrendered life to you. Uh, God, that we would look to you in all that we do and all that we think and all that we say. I pray, God, that you would use us powerfully to to love each and every person we meet. Uh, God, that you would use us, God, in our prayers. And Father, that this week and every week, God, you'd help us be people who pray and not give up. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.